0: welcome to the online broadcast i'm kareese hendrick
1: and i'm brett johnson
0: and we're both anti-fraud experts
1: but with very different sets of experiences (laughs)
0: <laughs> I've been in the anti-fraud space for well over a decade working with hundreds of the biggest online companies in the world to help them prevent payment fraud.
1: And prior to several years ago, I was a cyber criminal. I committed several different types of fraud crime, what have you online until I ended up ended up on the United States most wanted list, spent my time in prison, and since that point I've dedicated my career to helping businesses and consumers protect themselves against people like I used to be.
0: <laughs> Brett, I mentioned this before we started recording, but your voice is so low today. <laughs> do, like that, have, uh, um, do that Barry, Barry White, White thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> I feel like I'm having a conversation about fraud with Barry White, and it's really funny. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Unfortunately, but... I don't know any of his lyrics, or I would sing some right now. You probably don't even want to hear me sing because it's bad.
0: I was going to say, it's probably a good thing, uh, especially some of his songs, but um, it wouldn't be appropriate. But, uh, well, I was listening
1: to, you know, I recorded with, with Jenny Radcliffe for her Human Factor podcast, mm. and the, I've done a couple of these podcasts recently where the voice, and it's, it's because I've been talking so much during the day, the voice says, I talk more and more, it just continues to get lower and lower and lower until finally, I mean, it sounds pretty low.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well i mean i guess that means that you're getting a lot of content out there right like you have over 50 episodes of the anglerfish podcast right or uh, no, we've got i think 50. It's,
1: nah, it's 28 but the thing about anglerfish is it's it's not
0: fraud, it's not just about fraud right? right
1: so you know we're talking about of course, we're talking about the demystifying cybercrime, but we're also talking about human trafficking, about prostitution, child pornography, cyber stalking, uh, cryptocurrency, all these different topics. And basically the tagline for Anglerfish, the podcast is navigating the dark waters of our online lives. So anything that is is questionable or or kind of dangerous online, we're going to look at that and examine that.
0: Well, and you, you know, the first season you talked about your life story in, in a lot of detail. And then this next time it'll be, yeah, I know things like human trafficking and drug dealing and all the things that quite honestly, when, when you last year were like, I really want to be exploring these topics too. I was like, Oh, I just don't think that I, I'm so empathetic, but also like, there's a reason I stick to payments Um, there's actually, there was a, um, very, very, very well-known platform that I was hiring for a senior level position. And I happened to know two of the candidates that went through four or five interviews, including in person and, uh, they, it's a content platform. So there's a lot of, you know, people posting different kinds of content, whether it's social media or, you know, videos or, um, audio, like podcasts or whatever you, you know, anything like that. I'm just kind of making it kind of broad. So, cause really, if I said specifically what this platform did, everyone would know what it was. Um, but when I was talking to one of the candidates, she's like, you know, I just, I don't know if it's even something I would, I should take, would want to take. She said, I was told that I would have to major in suicides and minor in, um, animal cruelty. Ah, and she said, I told them if it's payment fraud, I'm all over it. But that kind of stuff, whoo. <laughs> and so there are, I mean, there's a lot. And I think that more and more payment fraud is getting mixed in with content fraud, fake reviews. All those things are, are all kind of bumping up against each other. But um, more and more, there's going to be a lot more careers uh, based on all of it. But I, I know myself it would just be way too hard for me to consume all that and, then, and be able to like leave it at home or yeah. Oh yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I agree. And you know, my, my thing about it is, is, you know, we do a great job with the fraud cast. We really do educating merchants and consumers about the different types of fraud out there and, and what to avoid and how to protect yourself against that. But I, I, I wanted to really examine some of these other ideas and these problems that are out there like extremist groups, like racism mm. online. Like, mm. for example, I'm, I'm going to have an episode that's going to talk to a cartel blogger. So you've got these bloggers out there that talk about the cartels and they do it anonymously because the cartels want to know who they are so they can go and kill them. So that's, you know, it, I think it's important that, that we talk about this stuff to, to bring mm-hmm. what's in these shadows out to the light So we better understand them. We're not as scared of them. And then we know how to handle that, how to deal with it, how to fight against those types.
0: We'll be talking about that on the next What the Fraud. (laughs) There you go. But this one is, um, I mean, what we would call phishing scams on text messages and uh, email. But I feel like that phrase gets overused too much and people just think, oh yeah, yeah, I know what phishing looks like. Um, But the problem is, is that they're continually kind of revamping it and changing it around and trying to make it look as normal as possible so that you don't know what fishing looks like. Would you agree with that?
1: I would agree with that. Absolutely. I would. And, and I think the one that we're talking about today is of course the FedEx text messages that everyone is getting right now.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it started actually with USPS emails um, right before the holidays where people were sit, being told that uh, they had a package that wasn't even able to be delivered with USPS. And so you had to click a link, you were instructed to click a link uh, to log into your USPS account, I believe, and then to um, put what time you'll be home or something like that. I can't remember the exact details, but. Uh, ultimately, whenever anyone clicked that link, what really was happening is that they were downloading malware on their computer, which could result in a ransomware attack or anything else. Um, I think that this FedEx thing is a spinoff of that. But why don't you tell um, everyone a little bit about those? Because I actually haven't gotten any yet. You said you've Well, I have,
1: and I pulled up the text message.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. So here's, yeah, here's I'm, the message. Assuming you didn't click on the link, however. Oh, no. <laughs> Smart.
1: So, but but the text message that was sent, it was sent from area code 323-397-7405. And what it says is it says, hello, 1447 offer. Your FedEx package with tracking code GB6412GH83 is waiting for you to set delivery preferences and then it gives a link. So there's a few things wrong with that immediately. The first is that 1447 offer is not even my address. And they wouldn't send you a text message like that. They would let you know what the name is attached to the package. The second thing is, is the tracking code is not how they say it. It's tracking number. And the tracking number that they give is not a FedEx package. It's a, it's a nonsense number. So you immediately know out of the gate, if, you, if you're if you like me and you used to, like I used to do,
0: <laughs> I'm sure we have so many of our listeners who are like you and, and did what you used to do. <laughs>
1: yeah. What, what I used to do, you know, I would track all the stolen packages through FedEx. Hmm. So <laughs> I'm really familiar with what those tracking numbers look like. So I knew immediately, of course, this was, this was just a fraudulent text, but what happens is, is you click on the link and it downloads some malware onto the phone or onto the laptop to harvest credentials potentially, or whatever it's wanting to do, maybe install ransomware, because we're we're continuing to see new new ways of ransomware installations. But any variety of different attack techniques can be used once you click on the link, basically.
0: The consumer thinks it's coming from FedEx, and if they, and a lot of times, as a consumer who shops online, I don't always know which um, carrier the merchant's using. Um, so I don't always know, like in the U S we have UPS, USPS, FedEx, um, sometimes DHL, though DHL is more popular, um, in other continents, but, um, so it basically, you know, they're, I think they're hoping, cause they don't actually know if you're, if you, are expecting a package they're just assuming that people shop online enough that they'll have a that they're expecting a package at some point is that yeah, right or right. maybe they're like "Ooh, i'm getting a gift or something well, and, like and what
1: happens is, is so so what ha- with well, this text message that sent it meant it says hello and then it gives it an address so 1447 offered was an address that was connected to a family member at one point, several years ago. So they're getting the this these phone numbers linked in from somewhere. I guess they're, huh. they're pointed off of, you know, paste bin or some crap like that. Right. Um, and sending out massive amounts of text messages in, in the hopes that someone will see the address. They'll they'll see, oh yeah, that's that's an address, and they'll just click on the link and that's it. Mm.
0: So hmm. I wonder, I mean. Not that I want to give them tips, but I feel like it would be just as effective that they didn't put an address in and probably more effective <laughs> considering the fact that a lot of them are probably old, but you know, let's not tip them off. But, um, so what would you, I mean, I have some tips as well, but what tips do you tell people, um, to not fall for these? Because you can't stop yourself from, you can't prevent not getting these, you know, you can't prevent getting these text messages. They're going to come in or emails, et cetera. Um, but there are things that you can do to ensure that you're not clicking on the link and that you're not falling for it and not becoming a victim. Well, I Um, mean, first
1: of all, first it's it's important to understand, to pay attention. Did you order anything? If you did, do not respond to any unsolicited text, emails, phone calls, knocks at the door, mm -hmm. anything else for you to do anything. That, that's the big thing. It's, I mean, this, this is one of these things you receive the text message and it looks some, this doesn't even look legitimate, but it could be crafted to where it would look legitimate. It could use your real name, any number of things. But did you ask for that text message to come? Probably not. Mm-hmm. If you didn't ask for that solicitation, do not respond to it. Instead, go to your email. Did you order it? Or if you ordered it, go directly to the merchant site get the tracking number of shipping information from there, then go to FedEx, UPS, or USPS, or even DHL, and just plug the tracking information directly in there. Right, but go out to them on a browser. their their own tracking. You Mm -hmm. know, UPS has a very nice tracking program that sends you every package that you're going to be getting that day. You could even track the little truck as it goes along. Is that my choice? I think it is. I'm signed up for it. Well, every 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 merchant that that has...
0: Every merchant that is a retailer uh, just probably made a face when they, <laughs> when I said the words my choice, but that's a whole other topic. And probably it actually is going to be a separate episode because we're going to have a, I'm planning on having a physical goods retailer come in and talk about those things more. Um, or I also, um, I used to work with somebody who's now actually a UPS consultant and works with merchants on those uh-huh. things. And there's been so many shipping issues that both consumers and merchants have had in the last year um, that I need to ping him. I'm going to write this down because I thought of it the other day and then I forgot, but I think he would be an amazing resource. Um, so we'll put a pin in that, but, um, yeah, what I wanted to say is it's just always a good general rule of thumb that if you're sent something that you didn't sign up for, or you're not expecting, don't click on the link. Um, that's like the biggest thing. Um, my used to work at one company, I was the only person in the office that had ever worked in this industry before. And, um, you know, there'd be somebody else down the hall being like, crease, I got this email and da da da. da Is it good? And, I mean, I can't even see it, but I'm like, <laughs> no, cl- no clicky, the linky, like, I don't care. And then I'd come over and look, but, um, you know, don't click on the link uh, definitely, you know, you can go out to the website of the place that you placed an order and see, you know, who they're using and things like that. Um, you could call FedEx and ask them, however, you'd probably be on hold a whole long time because a lot of people are getting these, uh, text messages. Um, but I think too, it's just important delete those things so that you don't even accidentally, uh, do it. You can report it as spam through your carrier, a lot of things you can do, but just, you know, definitely don't, Click on the link, and that's because they're going to download malware. They're going to be able to see all the activity on your phone. Your phone knows more about you than probably you know about yourself in a lot of ways. So you don't want other people to have access to that. So that's kind of our takeaway for that. Um, you know What I
1: did, you know what I did?
0: Oh boy, what'd you do? <laughs> <laughs> I never know. I, I never. I so what I did was I'm like, oh boy. I
1: pulled up the lyrics to my favorite. No.
0: Barry White song can't get
1: enough of your love babe oh my god that's right my (laughs) darling. I can't get enough of your love babe girl I don't know I don't know why <laughs> I am
0: so, so sorry. <laughs> Let's listen to this. Our editor can feel free to take that out if he wants. May! Not having conversations May. about fraud. <laughs> Unfortunately, our editor is your neighbor, so I don't have as much pull as you do. That's right. <laughs> Darn it. <laughs> okay, should we move on and talk about fraud, Mr. Johnson?
1: <laughs> I guess. I know. Is it going to be something much, I'm upset about like I was last time?
0: Well, I I feel like you're upset about a lot. So it's kind of a <laughs> minefield to have to walk through. But well, I mean, I thought it was only appropriate because last, um, on the last episode, uh, we were talking about account takeovers that happen on the banking side. Uh, however, the impact is trickling in on merchants as well as Uh, fraud providers that provide a chargeback guarantee because they're the ones who have to pay, you know, for the chargeback. And as far as they're concerned, they did everything they possibly could. Um, So that, I mean, we're not going to go down that road. I'm already afraid that I'm going to get in trouble already, but they can call me, I'll say it. Well, there is just something to be said about, you know, any system that doesn't have any human interaction. And we talked about that last time. That's really where our, our biases are coming from that. And I did mention that there are some that are—I don't want to say sharky—but they're they're very high-pressure sales, and I, I've gotten quite a few uh, complaints and and things from merchants about that. So, so, that's kind of you know. But I do think, and we both agree that that they are a good service in some ways. So we, and I know that a lot of them listen to our podcast. So I certainly <laughs> don't want anyone to no and, and hey, disparaging you know. them. But like with every tool, <laughs> I th- I don't think there's a single tool out there um, that is good for every single company and every single I agree. situation. I
1: agree. And, and with so. me again, I, I recommend these companies. I certainly yeah. do. And I but do I it also understand too. that the company is there to make money. Right.
0: Well, so, <laughs> right, And that is another downside, right? Like they're, uh, not to get too much down this uh, rabbit hole. You always do this to me, but, um, <laughs> but I, there are some concerns that the, some of those companies are, um, not, approving as many orders as they could because they are, you know, concerned about their bottom line. But I will <gasps> say that they're like anything, right. In any, in any industry, whether it's, you know, a fraud core solution whether it's verification or whether it's any industry, not just in fraud or payments, there's always going to be kind of the good, better, best models and companies. And um, you know, when you're around the industry a lot and, and honestly, when you have as many merchants confide in you as I do, which I'm so grateful for, you kind of start to know the ones that you would refer to other people and the ones you wouldn't. Sure. But that goes for everything. Um, and that's also because I, I am hearing complaints from current customers. And if I hear one or two, I don't really think anything of it because But you know awesome the good thing. When I start hearing 10 or 12 or 15, I'm like, yeah. hmm, I don't really feel comfortable telling another company, you know, but that's that's with anyone that's not
1: just in this category. But, you know, my thing is, is the good thing is, is you're, if you're dealing with, with one of these chargeback companies and the chargeback company says, Hey, send it. You know what? <laughs> right. Send it.
0: Right. But they're Don't the worry hook, about right? it. Don't that's worry. It. Right. Absolutely. And, and for the merchant, go ahead
1: and send it. Don't right. worry about any security whatsoever on your part. That chargeback company, that's got it. It's got you covered. But... Right. If that chargeback company says, you know, we're not going to guarantee that. We just don't know. And I don't care what percent they're coming back with. At that point, it's on the merchant to say, you know, right. we need to do a lot more verification here. We need to make sure before we send this item amount, because we're not covered by this chargeback company, we need to make sure, by God, that everything is kosher. Mm-hmm. And I think that comes into what we were talking about last time of, you know, you don't have to manually, manually verify everything if you're the merchant but that right there might be an indicator that you might want to do something.
0: Well, and there's definitely a balance, right? I mean, I, I do know companies that, you know, there's different ways that you can structure with a guarantee company. And I think that there's some very strategic ways, you know, if you're not sending all of them and that could be a whole episode on its own, but there are some people who, you know, only send things to a guarantee company at the very end if they're things that they were going to decline already. Right. There are other people who put it at the upfront but then they have manual reviewers at the back end that anything that the guarantee company is saying to cancel, they review to see what they can salvage themselves and then they just they don't have indemnification on it. They have to take it on if there's a fraud chargeback. Um, I think one of them is a little bit less repetitive and redundant than the other, but there are a myriad of strategies in between that as well. Um, but those are just some of the things I think, you know, what's most important is just the merchant understanding, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly about any type of solution. Definitely not just these. Um, but what I wanted, you know, and so, but because they do take on the liability and because, Um, A lot of the companies that are targeted by this kind of fraud are using those companies. Those guys were on the hook for it. And, and I don't blame them for being upset because yeah, they gave a guarantee, but they did do everything they could by the book well, other now. than other than calling or be doing manual. And I do agree with you on that. I do, <laughs> but I also understand their point too. So I, I'm trying to be Switzerland here um, and it really depends on the situation. So, and I think that up until just a few months ago, you were able to do things more and more automated, but because of that, the fraudsters are learning, right? It's a continual cat and mouse game. So you got to be, I often, when I speak at conferences um, for, as a keynote, I do a version of the fraud zombie uh, presentation. And really it comes down to, we need to stop acting like we're just fighting a dragon. And then once it's over, it's going to, we're not going to have fraud anymore. And we're going to come back to our village and be celebrated. We need to be thinking in the mindset of these are zombies they're going to continually regenerate and so if all automated worked last year it's probably not going to work in two years if you know all manual worked last year it's probably not going to work in two years because you're going to scale and have too many orders there's so there's got to, you've got to have some flexibility within your risk stack um, especially for specific types of business models and uh, because you are and brands etc you're going to be targeted more and there you're going to have those more skilled fraudsters as Brett's talked about a lot. Um, But all of that to say, I actually wanted to talk about um, transition more into what I call merchant account takeover. So I actually thought it was interesting that you were like, well, what the hell is merchant account takeover? I mean, now that I've explained it to you off air, I know you know what it is, but I said, well, what do you call it? Because to me, there's bank account takeover where someone, where fraudster contacts the bank, either online or over the phone, and takes over somebody's existing account. So they get access to my password and my username for my bank, and they change all the information, or they drain my bank account and send it somewhere else, or um, they're changing the information so that they're getting an address verification match, et cetera. Um, At the merchant level, I would I should say that account takeover did start on the banking side and then it uh, transitioned into online gaming first and then online dating and then uh, travel and ticketing and then now it's everyone, any company that has uh, accounts online like any any company that you can log into an account um, to access your your account. Um, If your card is on file, if you've got points or loyalty points, et cetera, those are things that fraudsters are going for. Scammers are going for in lots of different ways. Um, But at the end of the day, what's happening is that they are gaining access to your online accounts. Um, I am going to name some company names because there have been, um, I believe there have, yeah, there have been uh, articles about all these, but like um, Dunkin' Donuts last year, unfortunately got in the press for this. And I, I felt bad because I was like, everybody has, this This is every single company that has an app or anything has it, but they got put through the ringer. Um, Amazon constantly, there's a lot of articles about that. The colloquial term, as they'd say, the consumer term uh, that a lot of people use is, um, their account got hacked, right? My Instagram account got hacked. My Amazon account got hacked. My Delta Airlines account got hacked. My Hilton Honors account got hacked. Um, not mine, I'm just saying in general, those are things that are said. Um, but to us, that's what we call merchant account takeover. Um, before I go further and talk about what they do with those accounts, Brett, is that what you knew it as? Or what do you, I mean, what, do, it, it, it what falls do they call it on the dark the... web? Like, does it matter?
1: No, it's just carding. That's all it is. It's 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 the they process. They see that as of,
0: carding, even though you're yeah, gaining access just, to an account rather than uh, to a credit card number. It's,
1: it's really just all falls under the same umbrella. I mean, it's what what happens is is as you're being educated on, you know, credit card theft, you you learn these things. You learn how to um, update addresses or update uh, account information in a bank. All right, mm-hmm. you you learn, and we were doing that back with when I was just beginning carding, I mean, we were doing the, uh, the update of credentials and not credentials, but account information in a bank. Uh, then you, you, you go to PayPal and you hit them with the same thing and then you go to eBay and you hit them with the same thing and you just keep updating. I mean, one of the first groups that we started to fish or, or companies that we started to fish was eBay mm. simply because you could go in, you could change the account details, take over that specific account and, and start making a lot of money or stealing a lot of money. Um, right. And that's, that's one of the things that we've found across the board. What's, what's kind of interesting as, as time has went, went, went on with that stuff is that, you know, every single account now has value of some sort. It's, it's no longer just bank, credit card, retirement accounts, eBay, PayPal, that type of thing. It's, it's these smaller merchant accounts. It's, it, it is these, these merchant and retail accounts simply because if you can make, if you can gain access to that, you already look like you're a legitimate user of that specific site, that, that merchant and retail. That's the big thing on that. It, it just, it saves a lot of time and effort on the criminal's part to to take over those accounts like that.
0: Well, and that's because for the longest time, the best way to determine if you were a merchant to determine the riskiness of an account is if it was brand new. If you were seeing a brand new account making a large dollar purchase with overnight shipping, that was probably fraud, especially if the billing and shipping was different. Now it's like, it's oh. really far from that because it has had to be in order to be successful on their part, but. So um, so think
1: of it now. So, So what happens now, of course, I go on one of these marketplaces, one of these criminal marketplaces. I buy someone's credit card information. I give, say, twelve dollars for that. For that twelve dollars, these days, depending on who I'm purchasing it from, and I just purchased some a few days ago in a consulting uh, gig that I was doing for this one specific company to show them how these, these things were purchased. So you know, you buy it with with cryptocurrency. And depending on the seller, for twelve dollars, you get the credit card number, the expiration date, the three-digit security, you get the person's name, address, phone number, email address, and you get the browser fingerprint that's associated with that user. Really? So you get all this for twelve dollars. Is that like
0: a device fingerprint? Or that's, like is that is that what they is that what we would call a device fingerprint? With the device fingerprint or is, that is, is a little different. bit different. So, okay. browser
1: fingerprint when when you visit a site, that site looks at characteristics of that specific browser that's coming in. It looks at like forty two different unique char- traits of that specific browser: browser type, Java type, uh, uh, the version of the browser, the language, the time setting, all these other things. It looks at forty two different things, catalogs all those the fingerprints that are sold online usually only list about 11 different things uh, you know resolution things like that as well simply because even though you can catalog or you can capture about 42 different unique traits of every single login really companies only look at about 11 of them all right so you get that fingerprint and then you go over to pastebin or you wherever you're getting your your stolen credentials from you go over to Pastebin and you get someone's PayPal login, or their Amazon login, or their eBay login, or Apple, or I don't really give a damn where it is, but you get that. And then you spoof the fingerprint that you've just purchased to come in to that website where you've got the stolen credentials. You enter into the website and you just wait. And the object of, wait, of waiting is, is that the longer you wait, And what I mean by waiting is you log in and you don't do anything. You just log in that way. The system that you're trying to gain entry to the retailer, the merchant, it sees the entry, but you're not doing anything. It just sees the entry. And the idea is the longer you wait, the more legitimate you look. So you log in the first day, stay a while, look around, browse, what have you come back out. And you may do this for a little while, depending on how much money or whatever items you're trying to steal. You may do it for a few days, maybe a couple of weeks, depending on the price of the items. And then all of a sudden you update the, the account information or you update that credit card or whatever you're going to do with that. You add a new card, whatever you want to do, or maybe even a, a gift card. And then you wait a little while longer and then you defraud the system. And the whole idea for that is, is that we're seeing more and more of, you know, instead of the, the attacker, the criminal coming in and immediately trying to steal goods and services, they understand that patience is a virtue. And the longer you wait, the more legitimate you look. And you couple that with a stolen browser finger or a spoofed browser fingerprint. And all of a sudden things start looking really good from the criminal side of things.
0: Well, So, I mean, do you think though the patience isn't a bad thing now because there's just so much data out there that they can afford to just almost have like a two, three month rotation? Is that basically it?
1: I mean, when we started, the only thing we needed to be patient about were bank accounts. So Mm -hmm. you would, you have to have, it's those three necessities of cybercrime, gathering data, committing crime, cashing out, that cashing out thing. You have to have some avenue to put cash in pocket, even if you're laundering Bitcoin, at the end of the day, Bitcoin's useless unless you can convert it to actual currency and put it in your pocket. So back then, we we relied on gift cards, we relied on um, prepaid debit cards, and bank accounts. The thing with bank accounts, and bank accounts are the most popular. The thing with bank accounts is that in order for you to really launder money through that, you have to make sure they're aged properly. You just can't open up a fraudulent bank account and start funneling thousands of dollars through it that same day. Back then you had to wait 30 days. These days you have to wait 30, 60, 90, whatever the hell it is until the system decides that, okay, this user is legitimate enough. And then you can start laundering money through it at that point. Um, The same thing for merchants. I mean, nowadays it's, it, what, what we're seeing is, is that idea of being patient is kind of going across the entire spectrum. We see more and more the upper level attackers who are going into systems, You know, not just trying to defraud immersion, but going into systems in order to steal right. data uh, or whatever they're doing. We're seeing that these attackers sit there and wait. Now there's a reason that they're waiting. They're wanting to see if they're found. They're wanting to make sure everything's going to work all right and work properly before they launch the attack. And they understand that the longer they wait, the more legitimate they look within that system. Okay.
0: Well, and isn't it also that they're, um, so what a good example of what you're talking about then when they go out to those systems, be like, what happened? Was it with Hilton or Marriott last year? You knew the person that or one of the people that was involved in that. Is that an example of them going out to the merchant and dumping all of that data or, or are you talking about something different?
1: I'm just talking. So, so, for example, on the data, the data breach, whether it be Equifax, Equifax is a little different. But, right. It wasn't
0: uh, account takeovers. Yeah.
1: Right, but it doesn't matter if it's an account takeover or not. It, from, right. from an oh, attack point of view, what we're looking at is we're looking at the attacker infiltrating a system. And instead of the, the, the attacker at that point, whether it be a fraudster or one of these upper level attacks, instead of the attack happening immediately, we're seeing time pass that the attacker is lurking, the attacker is watching his environment to make sure that every, he understands the complete environment before launching the attack. That attack may be upper level, that attack may be simply using stolen credit card data or it may be a, a synthetic fraud or anything else like that. And, and from my viewpoint, the reason that you wait is you look, you understand the system better certainly, but you also look more legitimate the longer you wait.
0: Okay. I see. So I think, you know, just moving on a little bit. So a lot of times what happens, I think whenever there's data breaches is that consumers say, oh, okay, they didn't get my credit card number. So we're fine. But actually add uh, that. I actually would argue anytime I would argue that it's way more dangerous for there to be rich account data be stolen than your credit card number because your credit card number can change and your bank can see, okay, they made a purchase at this retailer. This retailer had a data breach. So therefore I'm going to reissue them a card. Um, The problem is your usernames and passwords that you use at various, you know, merchant accounts, they, a lot of times for convenience, we make them the same or really, really similar. And we've talked about this in last season too, but This just continues to be an issue. And what I've been hearing more and more is that, yes, account takeovers are still an issue, but the end game is changing a little bit. So it used to be that fraudsters were logging in. So not only, you know, they wouldn't have to really buy a full, they could just buy someone's YouTube username and password or their username and password to Groupon or Yahoo or Hulu who were breached, you know, years and years and years ago. Um, Chances are, you probably have a few accounts that have the same password. In fact, um, our buddy Aaron Sherman, who was uh, who we interviewed last season, he, he and I were talking about something. I think it was during the Jose Canseco whole thing. Which, if you didn't hear that story, go back and listen to it from last season because that was kind of wild. But um, that he Aaron has the, had access to this database. I don't know if he does now because he's with a different employer but where he, um, they really took all this information from Pastebin or wherever it was, you know, whatever's out in the open and created their own database to be able to tell companies when, hey, your um, employee has information out on the dark web that, you know, make sure that they aren't using these username and passwords for your systems for your company, basically. And um, he uh, said, hey, who's so-and-so? And I was like, oh, that's my, you know, x like really or not not my ex boy i mean like just that's my blank you know family member insert family member here oh what's this what are these numbers is that a birth date or an anniversary and i was like oh it's a i'm not gonna say which one he goes well if you have anything else that's using this password you might want to change it and i was like oh which actually that was an old one i haven't used in a really long time and i'm pretty sure that was from like the groupon breach like 10 almost 10 years ago so like um but it made me go oh Wow, you know, what if I was using the same one? I I know people that use the same password for every single account and they like think it's that they've figured something out. Like they're the ones that, you know, are smarter than everyone else. Um, but here's the thing, like that's the weak number one weakest link that anyone can have is having the same passwords or having them stored somewhere that's insecure or yeah, that's unsecure. Um, and I'm not the Best at it. I think I'm a lot better than I used to be. I actually, you know, need to be uh, implementing a password manager. That's something that Brett's probably going to scold me for because it's something that's been on my list for a year. But I just always have so much. I don't think about those things. But um, you know, those are. It's just super important because that's what's happening. You know, merchants are just getting killed, and it's and unfortunately, really, the weakest link is on the consumer side. Um, and A lot of times it's there. So what they used to do is take that information and run it through and they still do credential stuffing where they're trying to see how many, you know, trying to see, oh, just do they have a, this account? Did they have a, that account? Did they go to this company, that company? If they access your email, they can just see what companies you get emails from, but they used to be able, they used to log in with the whole purpose in mind to make a purchase, either, like you said, to, on an aged account, because the legacy of that account made it look like it was more legitimate because it wasn't a new account, um, or to use the payment method on file. Um, so if I had my card stolen or, uh, saved on amazon and they accessed my amazon username and password they could go in and use that credit card to make purchases now amazon and other companies who have had this this threat for years and years have done a lot of things so that's why when you change your credit card number in amazon or if you change your email address or your address or your phone number you have to re-enter the full credit card number or re-enter the last three digits on the back of the card that's why they're doing that um, and I think it's important for merchants to think about those things as well. If if those are the types of account takeovers you're having, then that makes sense to have a trigger like that. But you need to dive in and figure that out before you determine what the best prevention method is. But now what I'm hearing from merchants is a lot of uh, taking the items of value in an account like you just mentioned. That's something that really has spiked the last few months, um, whether that's, I mean, I should say air miles and loyalty points, especially in travel, have been a hot commodity for a few years. But now I'm hearing from, you know, event ticketing companies who are seeing season tickets or concert tickets to somebody big. Maybe, maybe I got really excited that I got Beyonce tickets, which unfortunately I didn't. Uh, But if I did and I put it up on my Facebook, well, who's to say, or put it on Twitter or whatever that I'm so, or Instagram, I'm so excited to go to this. Who's to say that someone isn't going to log into my whatever, you know, system I use to make that purchase and drain the account of those goods and put them up for sale before I even notice. because of course I'm going to buy the concert tickets almost a year in advance. Um, so those kinds of things they're, you know, draining it for loyalty points and, uh, combining it and then selling, uh, free travel, not free travel, but travel that they bought with your air miles. Um, what are some other examples, Brett,
1: that, I mean, I I think your examples are good. And, and, You know, what, what I think it's important to note why those examples are attacked, why criminals go after those specific type of examples. And it goes back to this whole idea that I talk about a lot about your level of awareness. So if I go after your bank account, you have a level of awareness that is high enough that you're on guard most of the time. You, you're like, okay, no one's going to steal money out of my bank account. Hell no, I'm not going to let that happen. So what a criminal looks at, it's it's a, still that idea of the lowest hanging fruit. Where is your level of awareness on gasoline rewards? It's not. Okay? It's not. Right. No
0: one thinks that that's... Why would anyone want to steal that? Right. That's a very good point. Yeah, I hear that the all same the thing time with, about with like pizza miles. points or... Right. You know, anything like that, like, you know, fast food apps or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. why would anyone want to steal that? They can have it. It's like, well, actually...
1: So it's in, and understand these things have monetary value. It's not just gasoline. It's GameStop report uh, points. It's, it's your points from travel. It's, it's all these rewards points that no one pays attention to. And a lot of people, unless they're airline miles, a lot of people don't even use the damn things yet. They're still of value. They have a monetary value to them. So if you're not paying attention to them, I wonder, Are you going to pay much attention to how secure the password is that you associate with it? No, you're not. You're not. And the same thing happens with tickets. So you buy a ticket is your level of awareness on that. I don't care if it's beyond say the Rolling Stones or some podunk band in whatever redneck state that I happen to be in, like I'm in right now that, that no one cares (laughs) about the band it still costs you money. So an attacker, a criminal can come in because my, and I'm honest, there are times I use the same password across multiple websites because I simply don't care. I'm like, Oh my, and I, and I, even though I'm a criminal, my level of awareness is not high enough that I really give a damn about it. So I'm right there with you guys, but still understand that those tickets can be resold. If you're someone like me, Hell, I may sell the same ticket when I'm a criminal. I may sell the same ticket seven or eight times. Simply because I can, there are people out there who will fall for that. Mm -hmm. There are people out there who don't pay attention to their passwords on Ticketmaster or StubHub or wherever the hell they're stealing the tickets from. It doesn't matter. If I can get access to your credentials, log in and get the tickets printed out or or send the tickets to someone else, it doesn't matter what the site is. It's all because of weak passwords of that level of awareness not being high enough as your bank account or anything else.
0: Right. And if, I mean, I think it kind of goes to the same thing that you say all the time about if a company can make money off of goods or services, a criminal can. I think if a consumer wants to save loyalty points or save things in their online accounts that have value to them, like if you want to earn those points, then that's going to have value to the criminal too. And I know there's a lot of, there are a lot of companies that I honestly wouldn't have thought would be um, really targets of account takeover, like specialty retailers that aren't super huge, that, you know, have a core group of customers, but not these huge household names that are getting hit with this too. And so it's definitely something that, um, you know, we, I think it's important that we educate consumers as well as merchants. I think, you know, there are things that merchants can do to protect those. Something that I'm a big fan of is notifying your, educating your customers. And I know that that's something that marketing departments aren't really always on board with, but there's, I have a few examples of companies that have done this and done this well that I usually send off to people that are like, I just can't explain to my company why our weakest link is consumers with bad passwords and there's nothing we can do about it. Can we get word out? Hey, there's a scam happening. This is what it looks like, you know, anything like that. Um, but the issue is a lot of old school marketing companies don't want their brand synonymous with fraud. What they don't understand is if they, if I have a company who, I mean, and I know I'm a little bit of a special case cause I pay attention to this stuff way more than anyone else. But if there's a company that's like, Hey, just want to let you know, there's a scam, like my bank, I logged in last week. And um, right after I logged in, there was a huge scam alert. And then when you clicked on the link, there was, it went to an article that only members could see, which I loved, because that meant that the criminals weren't always aware that this was, this information was out there. So they're not, you know, quickly changing their MO Um, saying, Hey, there are these two scams that have been um, targeting people that use our um, bank and it's you know, phishing scams, etc., things we've talked about before, nothing too new or you know, sophisticated, but it you don't have to have a new and sophisticated fraud tactic for it to work, not even close. Um, and so that you know, I think that that makes me trust my bank more because it means it tells me that they're watching out for me and they want me to be safe. Now, do I also know that they're doing that to protect their bottom line? Sure, absolutely, but not everyone knows that, and I think that you know, we're in new times and I think that that's important, but there's other things you can do too. The problem is there, I know merchants who have forced password resets, uh, whenever there's a large breach and the, even if they put logic in the reset that says that you can't have the same password for the next 10 or whatever it is, they'll watch a high percentage of people change their password 10 times. And then at the very end, the last password they stick to is the same password they had before. Um, (laughs) you know, those kinds of things like, come on guys. Like I think that because consumers aren't on the hook for a lot of losses, I think that they haven't really, they, especially in the U.S. I think that the perspective on security in Europe and in the Middle East and in other, you know, in Asia, et cetera, is so much more. consumers really want, they don't mind getting, you know, a text every time they make a purchase over a hundred euro or whatever it is. Uh, They don't mind putting in extra information for 3D Secure 2, et cetera. The U.S. is very different.
1: I don't think, I don't think it's the consumer's fault. You don't. I really don't. I, I think that, that consumers will fall in line with whatever you present to them. I think that, that in the United States, whether it be financial institutions, merchants, retailers, I don't, government, what have you, I think that they view the consumers here as idiots and they don't wanna make anything complicated. They have that word friction they throw up a lot and they don't wanna make anything complicated. We don't wanna make, make the experience bad for the consumer. So we're not gonna train them, for example, on how to create a secure password, we're just going to have a little, gra- a little, a little, little thing up there, a little graphic that says week, 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 until they put in enough bullshit that it shows strong. And we're not going to tr- teach them that you know this, this is what makes a strong password. We're just going to do it for them. We're not going to do, we're not going to make them do anything that we don't that that might cause them a little bit more time. And I think that's a huge problem because in the UK and the EU, which is at least five years ahead of anything the United States is doing as far as that stuff goes, they just present it to the consumer. The consumer may have an issue with it the first little few months, but after that, everyone falls in line. It becomes a habit and everyone's used to it and no one complains after it's adopted.
0: Well, there's two things about that. So The first thing is, is that other countries have a governing body for these kinds of laws and rules. Uh, The US has the Federal Reserve, but they're not a governing body, they're an advising body. And so because of that, they're really, we don't have things like GDPR, etc. You know, all the things that have come in other places, but also- well, yeah, and but that's a little bit different actually a lot different but um that was a state, right? Not the federal government. And sure. but
1: once it once California adopts it, right. it will Everyone spread else, throughout. The right. 50. And it's
0: it's true most merchants have have adopted it throughout the 50 states. But the bigger difference is and I um you know, just wrapped up a, um, a pretty large consulting project for a large brand that is based in another country. And they opened their U S uh, website a little over a year ago, and they weren't expecting any problems with fraud because they have sites in every other market, pretty much in the world, almost. Um, the U S was kind of last. And, um, cause they do have physical locations here already and, and, you know, other entities that sell their products, et cetera. So that the U.S. was the last market for them to put their website in. And it was quite surprising to them that they were experiencing so much more fraud than they had in any other market. And when I went to their uh, central office, which is overseas um, on another continent, um, I one of the main questions I was asked when I met with almost every cross-functional department um, with finance and operations was why is there so much fraud in the U.S. versus everywhere else that we've been to? And I, it's a longer answer, but essentially, it's a combination of the banks aren't as judicious here at all as they are in in Europe or in um, Asia, the Middle East, et cetera. Like none of those things, and a lot of that is because the banks here in the U.S. They, I mean, most consumers have more than one credit card credit card company, right? Whereas in other countries, most people just have one bank that they use for one thing. Well, because all these banks are competing with each other, none of them want to provide friction. As you said, Uh, it is definitely a buzzword that's used a lot. Um, And sometimes it's an excuse. They don't want to provide that friction because they don't want that cardholder to go to another bank. And then it all kind of trickles down. But also we haven't made consumers care either though, because I know a lot of consumers who are, you know, educated people, et cetera. But when I say, you know, things like, Hey, are you aware that that app is tracking all of your geolocation or that, you know, this social media company is giving away all of this, or that there's this much data about you. They're like, ah, I'm boring. Who would want information about me? Well, that's not really the point, but those extra things to when you have a bank that cares and is putting those stops in place, you are going to stop a lot of fraud. But that's why there's, you know, the US is such a hotbed for credit card fraud. And as you said last week, and we've said it multiple times before too on the last season, most of I don't know about most, but a fair amount of US credit card fraud is happening obviously on US credit card, you know, US websites uh, with US credit cards. But most of the time, or at least a pretty big deal of the time, I don't have statistics in front of me or I don't even know if they exist. There are people overseas, they're in other countries. They're not physically in the U.S., but there's enough geolocation spoofing and device spoofing and, you know, emulators and everything else that can make it look like they're over here. Um, So there's a lot of reasons why um, there's just so much more fraud in, in the U.S., I agree with you to a certain point that if every bank got on the same page, that it would be adopted. But I think for a while, it's going to be kind of like, I mean, and I've seen this happen with merchants too, whenever there's new regulations, especially when I was at MRC, I would have merchants calling and saying, Hey, what's everyone else doing about this? Um, Like when the Durban Act came out and there were, um, you were allowed to, Surcharge uh, your card holders for to reimburse yourself for credit card processing fees, everyone was asking me well what's my competitor doing? What are other people doing before they even make a decision Because if they're the only merchant that's going to charge a surcharge, people are going to shop elsewhere. It's the same with the banks. Um, I, I just think that we haven't done a good enough job of explaining to consumers why it's such a big deal and that they do they can have some level of responsibility. Maybe if that were the case, they would, you know, demand it from their banks and then it would be, you know, then the banks would do it because it was asked for, but I don't know. It's, it's a tough problem, but I don't foresee rules and regulations on a government level, on a federal government level changing anytime soon.
1: Well, no, no I agree. Not, not in the United it'll States. it'll hinder
0: and... business, you know. Yeah,
1: and, and honestly, I don't see, as long as we've got states like, like California that are, that are leading the edge of a lot of things like that, I don't really see the need that we need the federal government to really walk into that. Um, it would be nice if they did, but you have to play with the hand that you're dealt.
0: <laughs> I can see that point. I mean, in some ways... We learned when Mark Zuckerberg was interviewed that I don't know if I want our senators to making decisions on our exactly. internet. They don't even understand how anything works. So, you know, I mean, maybe that's a better point. And we used to... And, and a look
1: at, I mean, look at GDPR. Lobby. GDPR is, is uh, come on, man. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> oh I Oh, boy, I am, this is
0: going to be an extra long podcast if you're no, going to rant I, about we'll, we'll, them. <laughs> we'll close it out in a
1: minute. But my, my problem is, I agree that companies should go public when they are breached, but my huge issue with that is that a company, when that company is breached, is a victim, and I am not about to to say that the victim, whether that be a person or a company, should be paying these huge amounts of fines. For example, you're you're going to fine Marriott when Marriott's breach was because of a third party company that the breach happened a year before Marriott comes in and takes over that company. That is absolutely, and excuse my language, but I'm going to say it. That is absolute fucking insanity.
0: Um, it is. It's crazy. But no, I, I to, agree with that part. That's a victim. Right. So I agree with that part about GDPR for sure. But the prevention mechanisms where you're treating data like it should be treated um, like a very you know valuable thing that should be secure and private, um, and saying that the person who that data is about is actually the owner of that data and can ask for the right to be forgotten um, because any citizen in the us I mean gosh, my information is probably known by thousands of companies like there was that marketing company down in Florida that got breached last year and nobody knew if that company had their information because nobody had ever heard of them before but a lot of companies that they had heard of before bought that information sold that information to them like there's companies that are buying and selling your information left and right and i am excited that there's some future technology that will be you know in in production soon that will be able to help companies um be able to share information with each other without actually sharing information. It doesn't ever leave anyone's server. It's pretty incredible. Uh, I know you've heard me talk about it off the air, but um, I, and I think that we will see more and more of that type of um, computation and and cryptography being used. It's not blockchain. And and to me, this is so much more secure than blockchain. Um, But you know, things like that, whether it's blockchain or this uh, fair technology or others that They'll be able to, you know, this is on its way, but until then we're kind of in this weird purgatory (laughs) um, where some countries take data very seriously. Other countries are buying and selling it and saying that it's the new oil boom. Um, And so as long as data is a huge commodity with legal companies, it's going to be so much easier for fraudsters to get their hands on it as well. I think that's really what we're trying to say at the
1: end of the day. It's true, it's true. Yeah, well, we've covered
0: a lot of topics, but... <laughs>
1: you know, with me, and, and again, I've been big on this for the past few months. A victim is a victim, regardless of whether it's a company or a mm-hmm. person. A victim is never, is never responsible for the crime that has been perpetrated against them. That is always the criminal's responsibility and the only person that should be accountable for that is the criminal.
0: I actually don't know if I a hundred percent agree with that. That never and that always, because there have been some very negligent things that have occurred by some companies that have been breached that they should have had more prevention mechanisms. They should have, I mean, there are, because if you're saying that, then it makes it sound like there's no reason to invest in information security at all. Like, because they're not supposed to be, you know, because they shouldn't be victims. I mean, I think that there's still something to be said for trying to do your best to prevent it. Sure. I, I try do to do your best, agree with but you it's still not your fault point.
1: that you're a victim.
0: But if you've left the back door open and somebody no, breaks no, 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 into no, no. your house?
1: Absolutely not. Absolutely not.
0: You still don't think that that's your fault?
1: Absolutely not. Absolutely huh. not. It is always the criminal's fault that the criminal... Violence okay. I, whether, and that, actually, whether the criminal is whether that's right. physical or financial, whether it's it's murder, rape, arson, or stealing your bank account or stealing data from your company, the person who is responsible for that is the criminal. It is never the victim. Now that doesn't mean that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have good security, that you shouldn't watch your environment.
0: But I see where the you're person okay. who is
1: responsible always is the criminal.
0: And that that is actually a very good point. And especially, it's a great point coming from you. I mean, given your history and your background, I think I would want you to feel that way. <laughs> um, and I'm glad that you do. Uh, that is just a, one of the millions of signs I've seen that you know, you've know you been remorseful and that you're reformed. But I I think that there is some shared responsibility. I mean, yes, at the end of the day, if somebody breaks into my house and I left my back door unlocked, that's not my fault that they tried the door and that they went in and that they stole stuff. They did make those choices. Um, and they, and I, I would have been, you know, I would be the victim in that scenario. However, had I locked the door, who knows that they ever would have come in because the opportunity wouldn't be there as much. And I think that's just as true with, with, you know, cyber crime and, and fraud. And I, I do think that there are companies who have delayed notifying people about a breach so that they can sell off their stock or they can lobby, you know, government entities to try to change the rules. So they can't be on the hook for, you know, for class action lawsuit. Sure. It's just but, yeah, I mean, you know, case.
1: you know, as well as I do, there's always so a door
0: those. I don't like, that's true. That's true.
1: (laughs) It's just, it doesn't mean you
0: have to walk through it.
1: (laughs) I mean, there is, but I I do see your point.
0: Right. And and I do see your point and I, I agree with that. Like it's, you know, but it's your choice to walk through the door. So eh, I, I see your point. I can, I can be swayed. I can come around. <laughs> like, I can be swayed. <laughs> not on all things, obviously, not on naming companies, but on everything else.
1: <laughs> See, here I am today. I'm taking up for companies.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you actually are. Yeah. Maybe I'll get you some karma points in the other direction. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I'm, a, I'm probably... an equal opportunity across the board.
0: That's <laughs> what <laughs> so my husband says, too. He's an equal opportunity
1: offender because he
0: likes to <laughs> talk of right. everyone. <laughs>
1: So I guess we need to close out the episode, huh? I
0: think so, yeah. That way we can record more episodes and not run out of things to talk about. <laughs>
1: All right. Well, now that is it for our episode today. Thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. And we hope you have learned a lot. You know, we've got so many topics to cover to help protect yourself and your company from fraud. So please, subscribe to the online fraudcast to be alerted to when a new episode is out. And please... For the love of God, (laughs) tell your friends, rate and review wherever you can to help others, to help others learn about these topics as well.
0: And we always love to hear from you what you love about the podcast, how we can improve, what topics you want to hear us discuss. We do listen and and read every podcast. post and every uh, message. I can't guarantee that we can always respond to them, but we do read them and really appreciate them. Uh, and we do factor that in as we're planning content. Um, so you can always find uh, online broadcasts on Facebook and we will be updating it more soon as well as finding us individually on LinkedIn.
1: And let's see if I can go all buried wide again. Oh, <laughs> Until next time. <laughs> Stay informed, stay vigilant, and stay secure. Traffic jams,
0: tailgating, pileups. ugh the joys of driving. How could it get worse? The federal government wants to have a say in what you drive. That's right.